shirt, no shoes, no service. These signs apparently came about around the, in the 60s as a combination negatively of the, well, both in both cases probably on the negative side. But one reason was it was a form of the Southern Jim Crow laws, which were essentially written in such a way to get away with uh, legally with keeping the races segregated. It was also an attempt to ban hippies from establishments. Um, so during the 60s, you can see the, the need for those signs. In other, other words, in order to receive service from whatever establishment you were attempting to go into, you had to clean up. And there is a sense in which the Old Testament ritual laws worked in a similar way. In order to worship, in order to attend worship, you had to be declared clean. And Jesus has experienced ups and downs. He's been accepted. He's been rejected. Last week, we saw the miracle of the feeding of the, and the provision of fish, followed by his calling of the first disciples. And here we see the prevalence of people in need of cleansing that created an opportunity for Jesus to reveal his ultimate priority. And so we'll read this passage, but before we do, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this short passage, this simple passage that reminds us of the gospel. Pray that we would be stirred in our hearts, that we would be convicted and comforted by your word this afternoon. For your glory we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Read with me Luke chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report of him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, in this first few verses here, we see Jesus has the power to cleanse. The leper has, was considered ceremonially unclean. He could not attend temple worship. He had to be quarantined, in fact, set apart from everyone else. And even though we know leprosy was not contagious, uh, that, was, that was their treatment. That was what they, they did, and it was really based on Levitical law. Anyone with a skin disease, leprosy was one form of that skin disease, but anyone with a skin disease was placed outside of the camp, and they had to remain there. So when we go to Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we read this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. 
and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so if you were a leper, you were cast off. You were set outside of the camp until, by some miracle possibly, you became clean. They were unable to enjoy worship, unable to enjoy fellowship, unable to enjoy even the simple experience of touch. In fact, the disease of leprosy, you think of the, the wounds and the, and the swollen um, arms and ears and, and just marks and, and wounds on the face. All of these things are not because of the disease. It's because of the effect of the disease that takes away your sense of touch, your sense of feeling. So in fact, you wouldn't even know that you were placing your hand on a hot iron. You wouldn't feel the pain from that. And so because you don't feel the pain, you don't realize all the things that you're doing that, that, you're, that are causing harm to you physically. So that's why lepers tend to look the, the way they do. And so you can imagine the situation that this person's in, isolated, alone, probably getting food from his family who goes out into some desolate place, drops it off before he, you know, while he's not there, and then leaves it there for him to go and pick up and, and get it. That's the only way they would have survived because no one, you know, they can't go somewhere and purchase food for themselves. And so it was a very isolated experience. And this man, seeing Jesus, is filled with hope. He's also filled with humility and determination. We see in his response, really, what we would desire to see in anyone who is seeking to be rescued. Right, the leper knew Jesus could accomplish whatever he desired. He said, if you will, I know you're able to make me clean. It's really up to Jesus. It's up to his desire. If he desires to, clean, to make him clean, he can make him clean. And thankfully, Jesus, in the power of Jesus. And thankfully, Jesus' desire matched the leper's desire so that he was cleansed. Not only that, but Jesus was willing to touch him. And he didn't just cleanse him. He could have done it from a distance. His family member could have come to him and told him, hey, you know, my father's out there. He's a leper. I know that all you have to do is say a word and he'll be clean. That could have been the experience here. But instead, this leper comes to him. Maybe abandoned by his family. We don't know the backstory. But we know either way, he came desperate. And Jesus didn't just heal him, but he touched him. He gave him a human experience that he lacked for probably many, many years. And just as the evil spirits had to depart from Jesus when he told them to, it's the same language used here of this sickness. The sickness departs out of him. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And so the leper, interestingly, doesn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus was going into synagogues, teaching. As soon as he touched a leper, he should have been made unclean and unable to enter. But instead of that happening, 
Jesus' touch brings cleansing for the leper. And that's where the priority of this healing focuses on, and I think it relates in all, in all cases in the gospel stories when we're looking at a physical healing, there is just as much of an application to our spiritual need, our spiritual need for healing. Right? Because all of us are in a position like the leper. All of us are in need of a desperate touch from our Savior, a healing touch. And we need to recognize that we have a fatal disease that affects our whole body. In fact, it also numbs us at times so that we make decisions, worse and worse decisions over time because we're unaware of the impact that our initial sin has had. This, this is a fatal disease. Sin is pervasive. Every part of us is affected by sin, and Jesus is our only hope, and he's the only one to whom we can cry out for cleansing. And thankfully, Jesus heals those who are humbled, those who come to him in that recognition of their desperate plight. And so he has the power to cleanse, but we also see he follows that up with the authority to command. So Jesus fully expected this man to re-enter into the covenant community. He, he tells him, he charged him, he urged him, he exhorts him at this point, telling, telling no one or telling him to, to speak to no one and to go and show yourself to the priest to make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he fully expects this man to re-enter into the covenant community to be declared clean by the priests, and his cleansing is followed by obedience. This is something the leper was excited to do. Right? I mean, this, this is what he was longing to do. The cleansing wasn't his primary need. His primary need was fellowship, was community, was, was being made right with the Lord and the longing and desiring to be back into temple worship. Well, only the priest could certify whether a person was clean. And back in Leviticus, right after the passage we just read, um, the chapter after that, chapter 14, goes into laws for cleansing lepers. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you should know that it's a very elaborate process. When, when a leper thought that they were clean, they would go back to a priest, stand before them, and it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp. So now the priest sees him, has to take him out back outside the camp. He shall, uh, and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall look. So he's going to examine the man to see if this skin disease still remains. Then if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them, in the, dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. So you have blood drained into a bowl, 
from one bird. Then you have the live bird with some scarlet yarn and hyssop dipped into that blood. And then you, he would take it and sprinkle it seven times on him who is to, is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. So the blood of this bird is now going to be being sprinkled on the man seven times. It's not just going to be a couple of drops. This is going to be really all over him, his face, his clothing. Then he shall pronounce him clean and let the live bird go into the open field. So the bird that's been dipped in blood, it's, it's still allowed to live and go off and will quickly find a bath somewhere. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that, he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent for seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head. So he's already shaved off his hair. Now he shaves it off again after a week, shaves his beard, his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes again. And bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. Finally. Almost. On the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed in these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe, the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. This will be interesting because we're going to come back to this when we, when we look at the book of Judges. If you recall something about big toes and right thumbs. Anyways. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip the right finger in the oil that is now with left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Another seven times of sprinkling now with oil. So you get the point. I mean, I could keep reading. It goes on for another uh, 18 verses. That was half of the chapter. Elaborate process. That's what this man is now going through. And this is testified as well by, um, by the rabbis who were, they continued this Levitical practice for lepers. There were many lepers at this time, and some were being cleansed. And so, you know, maybe interesting, we, we look at all of those requirements. And whenever we, we hear something like this, you know, where, where a, a good deed or a kind deed is done, but there's some motive or there's some agenda behind it. And maybe it feels duplicitous for Jesus to follow his cleansing of this man with this elaborate list of commands. You know, it doesn't seem elaborate in in the passage we read in Luke, but now you know exactly what he had to go through. You know, why we don't typically appreciate people who have hidden agendas, right? They do one thing and only to get us to respond in a certain way, but, but that's clearly not happening here. Right, Jesus knew that the cleansing 
was not what this man wanted, ultimately. That wasn't the end. It was really just the beginning, that he wanted to enter back into worship, into full communion with the saints. And so Jesus never leaves a person where they were before coming to him. He never leaves them the same. He sets them on a, on a new path. Right? When he becomes our Savior, he also becomes our Lord. And so we now walk in obedience to his commands. And we delight to do so. It's not a burden for us. Jesus desires to see those who are cleansed to begin following him, walking with him, picking up our cross daily. And the culmination of that is fellowship. And that's, I think, where this passage leads us to. It, he starts with this example of the leper being cleansed, but, but when of the same section, verse 15, he says, but now even more the report about him went abroad. And he first tells the leper to, to not speak about this to anyone, to go and show himself to the priest, to be declared cleansed. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered for him or gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities for he would withdraw to desolate places or but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So people they felt the need to spread the word. And and it's, it would seem that either the leper might have told one person, you know, hey just I can't I'm so excited I got to say this to you. And that ends up spreading out to everyone. Now, of course, also, many people have already been healed by Jesus. So anywhere he goes at this point, he's got a reputation that precedes him. And so they're spreading the news about Jesus and his miraculous healing. And we shouldn't assume that they had impure motives, that they only wanted to go out to see Jesus to kind of witness some miracle. You know, we've, we'll see that in other places. But here, how does it acknowledge that the crowd's Gathered. It says, great cows gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So they were looking for, for healing, but they also wanted to listen to him. Many were gathering just to hear him preach. They wanted to know what he had to say. And so despite the need, and the need was great, Jesus withdraws. Why would he do that? He didn't despise the crowd. He didn't hate them for coming to him. In fact, time and time again, he shows his compassion for them. He spends all night healing them, oftentimes. In fact, many of the people who he left while he went for a desolate place to pray probably were still there when he came back and he healed them at that point. Right? So this wasn't some act of disdain for the crowd. Bill. Jesus withdrew because there was a higher purpose for him to fulfill, right? We find Jesus getting away to pray on several other occasions. You look at chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. In chapter 9, we see it a couple of times. Chapter 9, verse 18 now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and asked him, who do the crowds say that I am? And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? 
So he was praying alone, and then the disciples come to him, and he, commun- he asks them questions. Verse 28 of chapter 9 is the transfiguration. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing, clothing became dazzling white. So he often got away in order to pray. Chapter 11, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. They've seen him now going off and praying time and time again, again and, they're, and they're now wondering, how do you pray? How, how can I pray like that? It's clearly important. It's clearly needed. So Jesus is expressing his need for communion with his Father as he goes to pray. Prayer revived and even empowered Jesus for ministry. It strengthened him for the work ahead. And it was more important for him to please his Father than to please the crowd. The crowd was always going to be there. As soon as he came back from praying, the crowd was there, ready to hear him, ready to be healed for him. But Jesus desires to know and do his Father's will before all else. And he's our example in this. He rescued us, he instructed us, and now he shows us how to live. Shows us how to live dependently upon our Father. And so as we observe his need for communion with his Father, we recognize our own desperate need as well. And so here's the point. Here's how I would summarize this passage. The climax of our cleansing is the privilege of communing. The climax of our cleansing is the privilege of communing. That's what our cleansing is meant to bring us for. It's It's meant to draw us to a place where we would be able to commune with him. Communing with God takes priority over healing. And so, because I've been cleansed, I can now enjoy communion with him. When communion with God is our aim, it's not enough simply to be cleansed. It's not enough simply to be forgiven. We want to enjoy the relationship that cleansing now affords. And so, Jesus had the power to cleanse, he has the authority to command, and he has the need to commune. And maybe for you, you like the idea of having Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. Not as one who gives you instruction and commands you how to live. But from this passage, I think we learn this. Jesus only brings up to his table those who've been brought low by his Spirit. Those who've been humbled by their circumstances, by a knowledge of their sin, recognition of their need for healing. And that only happens by the work of his spirit in our hearts. But when that happens, we come into communion with him and that becomes our new purpose. That is to worship and glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.